introduction the judgment of the egyptian book of the dead by e a wallace budge this librivox recording is in the public domain introduction the judgment of the dead an examination of the papyri inscribed with the theban recension of the book of the dead shows that they may be divided into two classes these one those in which the chapters of coming forth by day are preceded by introductory hymns to ra and osiris and by a judgment scene and two those in which they are preceded by a simple vignette in which the god osiris is seen seated within a shrine the oldest papyri of the eighteenth dynasty lack such introductory hymns and the judgment scene which appear most often in the illuminated papyri of the last half of the eighteenth dynasty they continue in the nineteenth dynasty but frequently in a less full form in the older recensions of the book of the dead there is no attempt to describe the judgment pictorially and although it is pretty certain that every egyptian believed that he would be judged after death there is no definite statement of the fact it will be noticed that a section of chapter thirty b contains the words my heart my mother my heart my mother my heart whereby i came into being may naught stand up to oppose me at my judgment may there be no opposition to me in the presence of the sovereign princes of osiris may there be no parting of thee from me in the presence of him that keepeth the balance let there be joy of heart unto us at the weighing of words let not that which is false be uttered against me before the great god the lord of amentet here clearly we have suggested the idea of weighing the heart as the symbol of the seed of life and the source of good and evil actions and as a matter of fact the vignette of the chapter which first appears in the eighteenth dynasty represents the deceased sitting in one pan of the scales and being weighed against his heart which is placed in the other it is not easy to say exactly what belief underlies this vignette but it seems to indicate that the guardian of the scale weighed the body to see if it had carried out properly the heart's directions and that if it had done so it would counterbalance exactly the heart and the beam of the scales would be straight this testing of the body or heart or both took place in the presence of osiris on the day when words were weighed in the papyrus of ani four small vignettes accompany the negative confession which forms part of the one hundred and twenty fifth chapter and in one of these we see the heart of the deceased in one pan of the balance and a feather emblematic of right and truth that is what is straight in the other the god anubis is testing the tongue of the balance and close by stands the monster am met or eater of the dead here we have a proof that in addition to the weighing of a man's body against his heart the heart itself was weighed against right and truth 
and that this stage of the judgment also took place in the presence of the god osiris the judge of the dead in the eighteenth dynasty if not earlier the idea of the judgment took great hold upon the minds of the egyptians and it found expression in the large and elaborate vignette which is prefixed to the copies of the chapters of coming forth by day which were made at this period it is however impossible to say whether the large vignette is a development of that which accompanies the one hundred and twenty-fifth chapter or whether each had a distinct origin when once the idea of the great judgment scene had developed itself it seems to have been felt that the deceased ought not to enter into the hall of judgment without having first uttered words of prayer and praise to the great gods ra and osiris to the former as the greatest of the cosmic gods and to the latter as the judge and god of the dead hence were composed the introductory hymns to ra and osiris of which several examples are known in the hymns to ra the deceased apostrophizes the glory and majesty of the one god the creator of the world and all that therein is who manifests himself to his creatures under the form of the sun and by whose heat and light men and women beasts and feathered fowl fish and creeping things trees and herbs have their being the darkness of night into which the sun disappeared when he set was personified as an enemy of the sun and the daily victory of light over darkness was hymned with gladness by his worshippers from one point of view the egyptian regarded the course of the sun as a type of his own life and day symbolized life and night death the conflict in which the sun engaged with the powers of darkness typified the struggle of the deceased with his enemies in the underworld and man hoped that he would overcome them even as the sun vanquished all who opposed his course in a fine hymn the deceased says o thou beautiful being thou dost renew thyself in thy season in the form of the disc within thy mother hathor therefore in every place every heart swelleth with joy at thy rising eternally o ra the divine man-child the heir of eternity self-begotten and self-born prince of the tuat governor of the regions of okert thou god of life thou lord of love all men live when thou shinest thou art crowned king of the gods those who are in thy following sing unto thee with joy and bow down their foreheads to the earth when they meet thee thou lord of heaven thou lord of earth thou king of right and truth thou lord of eternity thou prince of everlastingness thou sovereign of all the gods thou god of life thou creator of eternity thou maker of heaven wherein thou art firmly established the company of the gods rejoice at thy rising the earth is glad when it beholdeth thy rays the peoples that have been long dead come forth with cries of joy to see thy beauties daily the serpent fiend that is darkness hath fallen his arms are hewn off the knife hath cut asunder his joints 
ra liveth in unchanging and eternal law and order again in another hymn we read thou risest thou risest thou shinest thou shinest thou art crowned king of the gods thou art the lord of heaven thou art the lord of earth thou art the creator of beings celestial and of beings terrestrial thou art the one god who came into being in the beginning of time thou didst create the earth thou didst fashion man thou didst make the watery abyss of the sky thou didst form hapi that is the nile thou didst create the watery abyss and didst give life to all that therein is thou hast knit together the mountains thou hast made mankind and the beasts of the field to come into being thou hast made the heavens and the earth thou art crowned prince of heaven thou art the one dowered with all sovereignty who comest forth from the sky ra is victorious o thou divine youth thou heir literally flesh and bone of everlastingness thou self-begotten one o thou who didst give thyself birth o one mighty one of myriad forms and aspects king of the world prince of anu lord of eternity and ruler of everlastingness the company of the gods rejoice when thou risest and when thou sailest across the sky thou art unknown and no tongue is worthy to declare thy likeness only thou thyself canst do this thou hearest with thine ears and thou seest with thine eyes millions of years have gone over the world i cannot tell the number of those through which thou hast passed from these passages it is clear that the egyptians believed that the god who was typified by the sun was eternal immortal and unknown that is invisible that he created himself and the world and the beings and things in it he was also one and alone and there was none like unto him for the gods of whom he was king only possessed certain of his attributes and characteristics it had been denied by some that his oneness or unity is the same as the unity of god almighty though i believe there is no good reason for this view but whether it be or not it is perfectly certain that when the egyptians declared that their god was one they meant exactly what the hebrews meant when they declared that jehovah was one and what the arabs meant and still mean when they cry out that allah is one at all events the one god of the egyptians possessed all the essential attributes of the christian's god in the hymns to osiris the deceased enumerates the various titles of the god and mentions his most ancient shrines osiris is declared to be the son of seb the earth god and of nut the sky goddess and as prince of gods and men to have received the crook and the whip and the dignity of his divine fathers he is the king of eternity and lord of everlastingness and his existence is for millions of years in his name osiris he is most terrible and he endureth for ever in his name unnefer though possessing the attribute of eternal which is ascribed to ra he is not self-begotten and self-born like that god ra has no offspring in the human sense of the word but osiris begot a son after his death according to one legend who succeeded to his father's throne upon earth and avenged him on set his murderer 
from ra the deceased asks only that he may behold him at dawn each day but from osiris he asks that his ka or double may have splendour in heaven and might upon earth and triumph in the underworld and he adds may i sail down to tatu mendes or busiris like a living soul and up to abtu abydos like a benu bird may i go in and come out without repulse at the pylons of the lords of the underworld may there be given unto me loaves of bread in the house of coolness and offerings of food in anu heliopolis and a homestead for ever in Sekhet aru with wheat and barley therefore judging by the arrangement of the papyrus of ani the papyrus of hugh nefer the papyrus of kenna and other documents of the period it seems pretty clear that the introductory hymns and the vignette of the judgment scene together formed a special section of the fine papyri of the theban recension the vignette of the judgment scene varies in detail greatly in the various papyri though the essential parts of it are always preserved the fullest form known of it is given in the papyrus of ani and may be thus described in one portion of a chamber in the domain of osiris which we may assume to be the hall of the double maat or right and truth a balance is set wherein the heart of the deceased is to be weighed the beam of the balance is suspended upon a projection from the standard made in the form of the feather which symbolizes right and truth upon the beam of the balance sits the dog-headed ape which was associated with thoth the scribe of the gods the weighing of the heart is carried out in the presence of the company of the gods which is here represented by the following members of it one ra heru kuti or ra hamarchus the great god within his boat this boat was called the bark of millions of years and there sat in it along with ra the gods kepera and tem his own forms in the morning and evening respectively two temu or tem the form of ra at eventide he was the head of the company of gods at heliopolis and is always represented in human form this fact indicates that already in the earliest times known to us he had gone through all the various stages through which gods pass and had assumed a final and definite form three shu the son of ra and hathor who lifted up the goddess nut or the sky from the embrace of seb the earth god he typified the light four tefnut the twin sister of shu she is depicted as a woman with the head of a lioness she typified moisture five seb the earth god the son of shu husband of nut and by her father of osiris and isis set and nephthys six nut the female counterpart of nu or the watery mass from which all the gods were evolved and upon which the bark of millions of years floated seven isis the sister-wife of osiris the mother of horus son of isis she probably typified the dawn eight nephthys daughter of seb and nut sister of osiris and isis and the sister-wife of set 
she is also said to be the mother of anubis by osiris she probably typified eventide or twilight nine horus the sun-god who is to be distinguished from horus the son of isis he is represented in human form but with the head of a hawk the hawk was the symbol of horus and the worship of that bird is probably the oldest in egypt ten hathor the goddess of that portion of the sky wherein horus the sun-god rose and set eleven hue and sa two gods who had their places in the boat of the sun at creation it will be noticed that several of the gods for example nu ptah knemu kepera set anpu apuat amsu hapi and several goddesses for example maat nit seket bast serk uachit are not here represented the explanation of this fact is that only the gods and the goddesses of the funeral company of osiris are considered to be interested in the judgment of the dead on one side of the scale we see the god anubis testing the tongue of the balance and behind him stand thoth the scribe of the gods writing down the result of the weighing and the triform beast Amit, the eater of the dead who is waiting to devour the heart of ani should it be found light in the balance on the other side of the balance are ani's luck or destiny an object called meskin which has been described as a cubit with human head it either typifies the embryo or has some connection with the birth of ani his soul in the form of a human-headed bird perched upon a pylon and behind these are the goddesses renanet and mekenet who presided over ani's birth-chamber and rearing behind these stand ani himself and his wife thu thu with heads reverently bent ani is here depicted in human form and wearing garments and ornaments similar to those which he wore upon earth it is quite clear that the body which he has in this hall of judgment cannot be the body with which he had been endowed upon earth and we are probably to understand that it is his spiritual body wearing the white robes of the beatified dead in the world beyond the grave which we see he is perfect in all his members which are endowed with the strength and power that belong to those who have risen in a spiritual or glorified body from the dead though he stands at the entrance of the hall and the weighing of the heart has not yet taken place the artist depicted him in the form in which it was always assumed the just would appear before osiris the heart having been placed in one pan of the scales and the feather symbolic of truth in the other ani utters the words which form chapter thirty b of the book of the dead wherein he prays that there may be no parting of his heart from him in the presence of the guardian of the balance this done anubis tests the tongue of the balance and finds that the beam is exactly straight and that the heart balances the feather exactly the dog-headed ape seated on the standard reports this to thoth who standing with his writing reed in hand is ready to note the result and to declare it to the gods it is interesting to observe that the heart was only required to balance the feather and not to outweigh it 
a fact which indicates that the pious egyptian was supposed to be able to satisfy the demands and requirements of the law and that he took his stand in the judgment and hoped for acquittal by virtue of the good deeds which he had done in the body the god thoth next addressed the company of the gods as follows hear ye this judgment the heart of osiris hath in very truth been weighed and his soul hath stood as a witness for him it hath been found true by trial in the great balance there hath not been found any wickedness in him he hath not wasted the offerings in the temples he hath not done harm by his deeds and he spread no evil reports about men while he was upon earth to this speech the gods reply that which cometh forth from thy mouth o thoth dwelling in kamennu is confirmed osiris the scribe ani is holy and righteous he hath not sinned neither hath he done evil against us the devourer amemet shall not be allowed to prevail over him and meat offerings and entrance into the presence of the god osiris shall be granted unto him together with a homestead for ever in second hetepu as unto the followers of horus the gods confirm the report of thoth and ani having been found just is led into the presence of osiris by horus the son of isis the words found just represent in a measure the words ma keru or ma ut keru masculine feminine which are always added after the name of the deceased in funeral texts there is no example of their application to a living person much has been written about them and many renderings have been suggested for them such as true of voice justified triumphant victorious they actually mean right ma and word keru and seem to be meant to express the belief on the part of the writer that the deceased has satisfactorily passed the ordeal of judgment and that he has attained to the state in which his commands whatever they may be will be carried out duly and effectually while horus is leading ani into the presence of his father he addresses osiris saying i have come unto thee o unnefer and i have brought thee osiris ani unto thee his heart has been found righteous coming forth from the balance and it hath not sinned against any god or goddess thoth hath waited according to the decree uttered unto him by the company of the gods and it is very true and righteous grant unto him cakes and ale and let him enter into the presence of osiris that is into thy presence and may he be like unto the followers of horus for ever in the last division of the judgment scene we see ani kneeling by a table of offerings placed before the shrine of the god osiris to whom he says o lord of amentet i am in thy presence there is no sin in me i have not lied wittingly nor have i done aught with a false heart grant that i may be like unto those favoured ones who are round about thee and that i may be an osiris greatly favoured of the beautiful god and beloved of the lord of the world the royal scribe indeed who loveth him ani triumphant before the god osiris it will be noticed that ani now has his hair whitened and that he wears upon his head the object which is called a cone 
the signification of which is unknown he has at length penetrated to the throne of osiris the lord of eternity as the words written above read and ani's petition to the god is that he may become an osiris that is to say a being endowed with a spiritual body which can never again see death or suffer corruption the answer of osiris is not given in the papyrus nor is it as far as i have seen in any papyrus where a similar petition is made but just as it is always assumed that the heart of the deceased will always balance the feather of law or right and truth so is it also assumed that the petition of the deceased will always be favourably received and that he will henceforth be free to go about in the god's domains without let or hindrance and to participate in all the occupations of the great god himself thus the judgment scene ends and this section of the papyrus in which it is found is followed by the chapters of coming forth by day the question naturally arises here when did the judgment in the hall of osiris take place to this no definite answer can be given for the reason that no text supplies the information needed there are no grounds so far as i see for assuming that the egyptians believed in a great general day of judgment when all the world shall be judged and the wicked shall be punished and the righteous shall be rewarded or for thinking as some have done that the mummified bodies were laid in the tomb to await a general resurrection on the contrary all the evidence seems to point to the conclusion that the judgment of each individual was thought to take place immediately after death and if this was the belief it follows that punishment or reward was allotted to the dead at once the evil heart or the heart which had failed to balance the feather symbolic of the law was given to the monster amit to devour thus punishment consisted of instant annihilation unless we imagine that the destruction of the heart was extended over an indefinite period the difficulty of the subject is further complicated when we come to consider the use and object of the funeral ceremonies and prayers if at his death the soul of a man passed to immediate judgment what could the ceremonies and prayers of the priests avail it we know that the embalming of a body in the best and most expensive way occupied a period varying from seventy to about one hundred days and that several more days were necessary before the body was coffined and laid with the proper ceremonies in the tomb if the prayers which the priests recited and the ceremonies which they performed over it at the grave were absolutely necessary for the future well-being of its soul and if the soul could not begin its beatified existence until such prayers had been said and such ceremonies had been performed it is difficult to understand why such a lengthy process of embalmment was resorted to for during the period which elapsed between death and burial the soul must have tarried in some intermediate place in the absence of exact knowledge we can only assume that certain prayers were said for the benefit of the deceased immediately after death and that such prayers assured his acquittal in the hall of osiris and procured for him entrance into the abode of the blessed this done the embalmment of the body might be carried out at the convenience of all concerned and the elaborate and formal ceremonies connected with the sepulture 
of the great would follow in due course the beliefs which are connected with the judgment of the dead are so numerous and so conflicting and belong to so many various periods of development of religious thought in egypt that it is impossible to harmonize them as new texts are discovered the difficulties will probably disappear one by one and the future labours of egyptologists will clear up many obscure passages which up to the present have been misunderstood End of introduction the judgment